I pray that you have engaged in worship this morning. Um, I know that it's uh, sometimes our habit to just kind of sing and just go with the flow. Uh, But I pray that when you think about what we sang this morning and just all that he is and all that he continues to be, I pray that it has been a blessing to you and encouragement. Uh, I pray that you have worshiped this morning. And I pray that you are excited for what God has for you in his word. And I want to remind you, worship is not just something we do before the service gets going with preaching. Worship is not a get-to-your-seat song. Uh, When we worship, we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we sing praises to him because he is the one that gives life to dry bones. Uh, We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible says. We were unable to save ourselves. And it was by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, that he gave his gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, and that we, by faith, received that gift of salvation to find eternal life. We were dead, and now we are alive. And I pray that you have worshipped this morning as someone who is alive, as someone who is living, not as someone who is dead. And so we are excited for that. This morning, we are in week two of our three-week series. And I said last week, you're not hearing me wrong. It is a three-week series. And so we are in week two of God is blank. And we talked about this last week a little bit that when you think about that, that line right there, God is blank. I asked the question, what would you, and you don't need to answer out loud, but what would you fill a blank in with? What word would you put there? I love that there were some answers online when I posted this and was sharing this a couple weeks ago. Uh, People were putting answers like amazing or unending, uh, different answers like that. So what, what would you, if you could answer that question, what would you put in that blank this morning for yourself. And I said last week, depending on your life experience, some of you would put a very positive answer there. God is good. God is loving. God is kind. But some of you, because of your life experiences being not so great, and maybe how you were raised or things you went through as a child, or maybe something you're going through right now, you would answer that question with maybe more of a negative connotation. Like God is vindictive. God is judgmental. God is angry. God is hatred. Maybe something like that you would put in there. Because of your life experience, you are allowing your circumstances to dictate who God is. And what we want to do, whether good or bad, both can be wrong. What we want to do over the next this week and next week, the next couple of weeks, is we want to look into God's word. And we want to discover how does God describe himself. Who does God declare himself to be? Because ultimately, that's where we rest. Because when our life experiences want to tell us that God is unloving or unkind or doesn't care or is angry, we can allow our life experiences or our circumstances to tell us that, and then we can either believe that or we can believe the word. Because the word tells us that God is unchanging. Amen? We said it last week. God is faithful. And because God is faithful, God is trustworthy. So you can trust him because he has been faithful, he is faithful, and he will be faithful again. Amen? And so we, we trust in that. We currently is and will be faithful because he is the God who will never change. Hebrews tells us that Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray that that's an encouragement to you. Because I don't know about you, but my life experiences are up and down. Good days, bad days. Things go my way, things don't go my way. 
And if we allow our circumstances to dictate who God is, we deny him the worship he rightly deserves because we don't worship as we should when we think God is something he's not. But when we know who he is based on his word, our worship will flow out every single day. I read an article yesterday and I posted it on Facebook and I really wasn't being overly facetious or sarcastic. It was basically about how to not be a grumpy Christian. And I was being real honest when I said that that's one of my weaknesses. And you might say, well, just one of, well, there's a lot. That's just one of them that I'm sharing openly right now. I've shared some others in the past. If you don't know, you can go online, northgoodland.org or Northgoodland BC in your app store. You can pull up the last few sermons and I gave some confessions. Okay, I was very, very transparent in those weeks. You have to just go back and listen to those. But I don't know about you, but I can be a grumpy Christian. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you can relate with that. Do you know why we're grumpy Christians? Because we let our circumstances dictate our behavior instead of letting the Holy Spirit control our behavior. We're not restrained by the Spirit. Our, our tongues are not bridled, as James talks about. Do you know having a bridled tongue means to have a tongue that's under restraint of the Spirit? So let me ask you, just, you don't answer out loud. Are your attitudes, actions, and your words, would you describe them as restrained and, and influenced by the Spirit of God? Would you say your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts towards others, and your words towards others are influenced by the Spirit of God? If you're like me, you would say, sometimes, but not as often as I want. The reality is, when it comes to these attitudes and these actions, sometimes it's all about how we're viewing God in those moments. And we determine the attitude that we're going to have through the course of a day. We make that decision. No one makes you have an attitude that you have. No one makes you do something that you do. Those are your choices. Those are my choices. But where does it start? It starts with having the right view of God. When I have the right view of God, based on his word, my attitudes, my actions will tend towards, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect, but it'll tend towards the kind of living, the kind of attitudes, the kind of words that glorify God and don't cause us to have to say things like, I'm sorry. Now, this is where I really want to encourage us because God is faithful, as we talked about last week. And because he's faithful, he is faithful even when we are not. When I blow it, his faithfulness remains. Now, does that condone or encourage us just blowing it on purpose or not caring? No. But we need to know that he is faithful even when we slip and fall and stumble. He is faithful. He has been. He will be faithful. This morning, I want to open with an illustration Some of you are really curious about the ladder on the stage. I also realized something when we were setting the ladder up and I was making sure it was, you know, in the right place and good to go. I feel really bad for this group because I did not anticipate reading the screen like this, looking through the ladder. I apologize to this entire section in the front three or or so rows, okay? I I checked it from every other angle, but apparently didn't think about you guys. Apologize. But... But this morning, I want to open with an illustration. And this is an illustration that I actually heard recently from a pastor. And uh, I I don't know when this pastor did this. And so, but I was, I listened to a lot of different speakers and stuff. And I I heard this illustration and I loved it. I thought it was great. Now, I added a little something to it. It's going to be a little bit different in some ways. But when I was listening to this, basically the story goes like this. This this pastor was on an airplane. As far as I know, this is a true story. So uh, this pastor was on an airplane. And as a pastor myself, whenever I'm traveling somewhere, I don't fly nearly as much as other speakers or pastors probably do, but this individual flies a lot. 
And one of the things that he said, and I've understood this in a little bit that I've flown or traveled, I, I try to wait as long as possible to tell people what I do for a living. Because the second you say, I'm a pastor, the conversation goes one of two ways. Either it's now every single religious question of every single religion all over the world becomes, now you're the expert, because you're a preacher, you know all this. I have no idea why Buddhists do blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But all of a sudden, you're the religious expert in this person's life. Or they don't want to talk to you anymore. In my experience, in the little bit that I've flown, those are the two things. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, that's great. Headphones go in, and now we're done. <laughs> because they assume something. Well, you're just going to preach at me. You're just going to hound me or whatever. Now, to be fair... I try to utilize that conversation to share some things. But I heard this illustration. This pastor was on a plane, and he was talking to this gentleman and purposely kind of not necessarily like omitting what he does for a living, but just not bringing it up just yet. Talking more about the individual, their life, their career, all that stuff. And in the course of a conversation, and this conversation going on for a little while, this individual started asking this pastor, who he didn't know was a pastor, do you ever think about heaven and hell? Now, he didn't say it that way. He didn't phrase it that way. But he said, do you ever think about like, after this? Like, what's after this? Or what's going on? Does, do the things we do in this life really matter? And they started talking about that. Well, in talking about that, the pastor listening to him said, well, you, you brought it up, but let me ask you, do you have a preference on where you're going to spend eternity if there is a heaven and a hell? Now, they didn't say heaven and hell. I think they said the good place and the not so good place. I think is how the gentleman on the plane described it. And so the guy said, the pastor said, do you have a preference? If you could pick do you want to go one place or the other? And the guy looked at him kind of confused. He was like, well, of course I have a preference. I'd much rather go to the good place, not the bad place. And the preacher said, that's, that's, that's great. I think everyone would answer that way. And then he asked him, he said, well, do you think you'll, you'll get into the good place? Do you think you'll get in? And this man said what so many people I've tried to witness to or encourage in the faith have said, I hope so. I hope so. I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I've, I hope I'm going to get in. And this pastor pulled out a napkin as the way the story goes and drew a ladder on the napkin. Now I'm not a great artist, so I figured rather than draw a ladder, we would just put a ladder on the stage. Amen. Let's make it easy. All right. So, so here's what he did. And I'm going to show you guys a little bit of an illustration on this. And so bear with me as I wander around the stage. I am, there is purpose to this. I'm not just walking away. But as he was talking, he said he wanted to kind of share some things with him. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, if this was ladder represented your standing with God. Okay, so God's at the top. He said, where would you put yourself on this ladder? Now I want to ask you, as we're going through this illustration, I want you to think about the answer to that question. You don't need to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it. Where would you put yourself on this ladder? And the man paused for a moment before he answered. He said, well, let's, let's do it this way. Let's make it easy. He said, let's think of a righteous person that you think is just righteous and godly and does great things for the Lord, does great things for God. And in some wording that this man would kind of more connect with, he said, think of someone that you might think of. And the guy's thinking of him. He goes, how about Mother Teresa? Pretty good person, does, does a lot of charity, has done a lot of great things. And said, where do you think, if you were sitting here and Mother Teresa was here, where do you think Mother Teresa would put herself? And the man thought for a moment. And as I've kind of heard about Mother Teresa as well, this, she was actually a very humble person. 
She actually openly admitted that she struggled with some sin issues in her life, that she really felt like she could do more and she could be better. So if you think about this being the latter, I would say Mother Teresa might be right about there. Okay, so that's what she told, he told this guy. He said, do you think that's fair? And the guy said, yeah, that's probably fair. And he said, okay. So he said, that's Mother Teresa. Now, let that sink in for a moment. He said, think of someone else that you think of as a pretty, pretty good person, somebody that, you know, maybe has a good desire to do the right thing and to, to be good and to serve the Lord and to serve people. And he said, how about Billy Graham? Billy Graham's pretty well known, right? Uh, to be honest with you, Billy Graham, I, I listened to, I just mentioned it last week, the week before, I listened to Billy Graham's sermons today from the 50s and the 60s, because it connects so well with what our culture is going through today. Because by the way, the word of God, just as God never changes, the word never changes. Amen. And the same message that was applicable 50, 60, 75, 2000 years ago is still applicable today. Culture changes, sure. But by the way, there's always been sinful people doing sinful things in a sinful world. That didn't just start in America a few years ago because this or that party was elected to office. Just throwing that out there, okay? But he said, how about Billy Graham? What do you think about Billy Graham? Where do you think Billy Graham would put himself on the ladder? Above Mother Teresa, below Mother Teresa? What do you think? And the man thought for a moment, and I've heard this as well, and maybe you've heard this, that Billy Graham, towards the end of his life, actually was very open and transparent about some of the sin issues that he struggled with, that he felt like he always could have done more. He always could have done more for God or more for the cause of Christ. And so this pastor, and I agree with, said, why don't we put Billy Graham right about there? Why don't we just say that basically that's probably where they would go. Now you can kind of see already the connection here is still pretty vast. I mean, these are, if you ask people in our world today, not even in church, but just people in our world, name me a couple righteous, good, moral people. These two names are going to come up sooner or later, most likely. I mean, this woman dedicated her life to serving the poor in conditions that we can't imagine. This man spent the greater part of his life preaching Christ to thousands in crusades and so many that came to Christ because of his ministry. And he was so well known politically and in different ways. He had conversations with so many people doing great things for God. These are two really, from our human understanding, righteous individuals. But before we answer, because we still have to put ourselves on the ladder, I want to give you one more person. And that person would be me. Okay. It's a little old me. All right. Now I know what you're thinking. How are you ever going to reach up so high? I know it's going to be difficult. <laughs> it's hard. I know. I'm just going to try to throw it up there and see if it sticks. All right. But I think about me and I think about who I am. Now this is important because guess who knows you more than any other human being knows you. You know yourself better than them. You know your heart. You know what you think about when no one knows you're thinking it. You know what you feel about your neighbor, even though you don't say it out loud. You know who you really are. The person sitting next to you right now, maybe even married to you, they don't really know you like you know you. The reality is, here's the scary thing, you don't know you, who you really, really are deep down inside. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, or is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know the depths of sin in your own heart. I don't even know that. Now, what I do know in my struggles, now I would put myself lower, but we have this little thing on this ladder. I can't go lower. So I have to go to the lowest rung I could put it on, which would be right there. But I'd probably put it down there if I could. So let me ask you a question. You don't need to answer out loud. Where would you put yourself? 
Where on the ladder would you put your name? Now, when this pastor asked this man this question, and he thought for a little while, and the preacher kind of thought it'd be funny to see what he did because now the preacher's name is on there, you know? And the guy said, oh, I'd probably be right about here. And he put his name right between Billy Graham and the preacher. And the man laughed and said, well, I appreciate that. That's fine. Okay, that's good, you know? He said, well, why'd you put your name there? Why, why do you think there? And he goes, well, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm a pretty good parent. I, I love my family. I take care of my family. I pay my bills. I, you know, I pay my taxes. I'm a good neighbor. and I, I do good things and I give to the poor and, and I do a lot of good things. And I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not way up there. I mean, obviously I got a lot of work to do. That's what people would say, but I got a lot of work to do, but I'm down here somewhere. And, and so maybe you're sitting there and you're putting yourself somewhere in here, or maybe you're like me and you would put yourself down there if you could. Maybe some of you are up there because you think, well, yeah, they're great, but I mean, I've got it really figured out. There's a point, though, to this. No matter where we put ourselves on this ladder, the reality is, and this is the part we have to get, no matter where you put yourself on this ladder, the reality is you can only go so high. See, above that, you can't get. That's it. There's a, there's, a, there's a gap. There's a canyon, and you can't cross it. See, because in our sin, we can only get so high. Mankind might elevate us. Other human beings might elevate us. Other people might think you're pretty righteous and pretty good and pretty great, but you're not getting beyond a certain point on your own merit and in your own strength because there's a, there's a, there's a gap. There's a canyon. And you can't cross it. And see, we have to get this. Until we get this, we're never going to look at the gospel the right way. Until we get this, we're never going to look at God the right way, his word the right way, the church the right way. Now, that's bad news. Because that means you're never getting to God. And if you're never getting to God, that means you're never entering his heaven. Which means there is no good place. There's only the not so good place. You see, in our merit and in our own works, this is as high as you go, and that's not perfection, so you're not getting in. By the way, this isn't my idea. This is the word of God's declaration of where we stand. Can we elevate ourselves among mankind? Sure. There's good people that do good things all the time, and we think they're great people. These guys were great people. They did great things. But in their merit, in their doing, this is as high as they go. And they're never getting higher. But I'm so thankful, and I hope that you're thankful as well, that that's not our only option. That we don't have to just worry about trying to get up on our own. That we can actually, through the cross of Christ, have access to the Father. That no matter where you put yourself on this ladder, through the cross, you can go to the Father. You can be rescued from your sin. You can be washed anew in the cross. You can be made white as snow. And that one day when you step from this world, by the way, no matter how other people view you, no matter how other people have put you on this ladder, whether you put yourself down there or up here through Christ, you have access to the Father. But without Christ, there is no access. This morning, we're talking about the fact that God is gracious. God is gracious. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. 
In the seats around you or in front of you, there are some Bibles. And if you would like one, you can grab one. You can just turn. If you're using one of those Bibles, you can turn to page 824. Page 824, if you want to just turn there, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. God is gracious. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Very familiar passage, but I pray that we don't read them in a familiar tone. I pray that we read them and allow them to speak to our hearts and minds this morning. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, Lord, so thankful for the reality of your grace that we don't have to climb the ladder on our own strength, that we don't have to fear when we leave this world what eternity holds for us, that, Lord, in Christ, we are guaranteed salvation. In Christ, we are guaranteed the new life, eternal life, We are guaranteed and promised the indwelling of the Spirit, which brings the sealing of the Spirit, which brings the eternal life that we speak of. That, Father, one day when we leave this world, we will step from this physical world and into your kingdom. We will be before you to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and we will rejoice and we will celebrate and we will enter into the joy of the Lord, not in our strength. Because we didn't climb the ladder on our own. But Lord, in you and through your gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. But Lord, I pray that even greater than the reality of eternal life when this life ends, I pray that we would know that we have access to the Father right now. That we have access to the throne room of God right now. That through prayer right now, we are seeking you and, and, and before you because of your gospel that we do not have to wait to leave this world to begin a relationship with you, that we have access to the Father every moment of every day. And so, Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room right now, anyone watching online that is trying to climb the ladder in their own strength, is trying to climb the ladder in their own merit, in their own works, doing these things that they think will gain them eternal life, I pray that they would know that they're only going to get so high. They're only going to go so far. They might be elevated among humanity. They might be elevated among the communities that they're in as good and righteous and moral people. And people may applaud their good deeds, and it's great to encourage good deeds. Obviously, Lord, there's nothing wrong with giving to the poor or being charitable or being generous. But, Lord, if we're doing those things to try to gain salvation and merit or work our salvation, Lord, we're going to be extremely disappointed when we stand before you one day. Because there's only two destinations that we will find in eternity. There's either enter into the joy of the Lord, enter into the rest of the Lord through Christ, or we're going to hear those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Lord, those aren't harsh words meant to scare us. They're sober words meant to cause us to pause and think and to consider where we really stand before you. Do we know Christ? Are we this denomination or that denomination? Have we done this religious thing or that religious thing? But do we know Jesus? And if we do, 
Are we enjoying the relationship that we have with you through grace that sustains us and keeps us? Father, give us your wisdom and guidance and help us to understand these things. May you be glorified in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes this morning, and you can also on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, uh, you can go into our media sermon notes and then find today's date. And there's notes on there as well with fill in the blanks if you want to fill in and follow along. Uh, there's actually notes available on the app as well if you want to do that to kind of follow along with what we're doing this morning. But the key we have to understand, as I said it already, and I hope this hasn't lost something. Because I don't know about you, but I've said this to myself in prayer and to the Lord. I've said, God, you are so gracious. And the next words that come out of my mouth, I almost seem to forget that he's so gracious. Like, do you realize the grace of God is what saves you? The grace of God is what keeps you. The grace of God is what sustains you. The grace of God is what endures with you in your unfaithful behavior. That it's the grace of God that pardons you and continues to pardon you, even though you don't deserve it. So do we pause and do we praise him for his grace? Is our prayer time full of demands and requests and wants? Or is it the majority of it praising him and thanking him for the grace that he gave you to even be able to pray? I mean, where do we find ourselves in this situation? You see, God is gracious and he's gracious to the lost and the broken. He is gracious to the lost and broken. Now, you might say, well, who are the lost and broken? Those impoverished people who really need help, those people in third world countries, those people who don't have it all figured out. No, the reality check is we're all lost and broken without Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is pretty clear that it is for by grace. See, the reason we need grace is because we're lost and broken. We cannot do it on our own. So God is gracious to the lost and broken when we did not deserve it. When we did not deserve it. One of the most freeing phrases in the passage that we read, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, is not of yourselves. If you underline in your Bible, if you highlight in your Bible, if you do anything like that, note that phrase, not of yourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. And I'm so thankful, and I pray that you're so thankful that it's not of ourselves. It's not of works that I have done that elevate me up the ladder to God. It is only by the grace of God. You see, because it is by grace through faith, I cannot lose it because I didn't do anything to merit it or gain it. John MacArthur, I've said this before, said it so well. If I could lose my salvation, I would every single day. It's not of yourselves. And if it wasn't of yourself before you were saved, it's not now all of a sudden all of yourself now that you are saved. If it was by grace to be saved, you're kept by grace and being saved. And we are kept in the grace of God. And he sustains you. So let me ask you a question this morning. When you woke up, did you say, God, thank you for your grace? God, thank you for another day that you gave me breath in my lungs and the grace to impart to others that grace? Or are you like me and some days you're a little in the wrong attitude in the morning and rather than show others grace, you expect perfection from them even though God gives you grace? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're holding a grudge and you think you're so justified in holding that grudge because they did you wrong. Listen, people hurt people and it doesn't make it right. People hurt people in emotional ways, physical ways, and it's not right. Never okay. 
This is not in any way saying we should ever condone wrong behavior. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says that as God has shown you grace and forgiven you, that he has given you the ability to forgive others and show them grace. Doesn't mean they got to be your best friends. Doesn't mean you got to trust them as an influence in your life. But I encourage you, if you really say, oh, I, I, I know the grace of God. I believe the grace of God. I've received the grace of God. I live in the grace of God. Do you extend that grace to others when they fail you, when, like as when you fail him? Or do you change now all of a sudden? It's always been amazing to me that grace is the number one thing we want when we fail, but it's the least thing we'll give to someone else when they fail. We just, we just don't really understand grace. Does it excuse sin? No. Does it justify sin? No. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The grace of God did not come free to you and I as the payment for our sin. And we'll talk about that in a moment. You see, it is by grace, through faith. If you are here and have not received the grace of God for yourself, then I want to ask you to stop what you're doing. Stop thinking about whatever else you're thinking about. Lunch will be there. We'll be fine. The restaurants will be there. The lines might be a little long, but you'll be fine. Do you know his grace personally? I'm not asking, did your parents raise you in church and that's how you know the grace of God? I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've taken communion. I'm not asking if you went through a ritual when you were 11, 12, 13 years old. I'm not asking if you went to a class that taught you some things about the Bible and taught you some ritual prayers and some rote prayers that you just respond out of habitual type worship. I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking if you go to church five times a week, two times a week, twice a year. All I'm asking you is this. Do you personally for yourself, have you received Christ? Meaning, you've repented of your sin. You understood that you've sinned and violated his law. We all have. And you repented of that, which means to call sin, sin, and to turn from it and turn to him and say, God, I surrender to you. Have you believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Not their horrible sins out there, but your sins. Have you repented of that and believed in the death of Christ on the cross for your sins? Have you believed that you needed salvation and by faith you asked him to save you, to redeem you and to pardon you for your sin? Have you received the grace of God for yourself, believing that he rose from the dead as the final payment for your sin? That when he rose from the dead, it showed the father was pleased with the sacrifice of the cross. Have you made the decision for yourself to receive Christ? Now, you might be thinking, well, preacher, we're here, aren't we? We're in church. Obviously, we believe. That's not true. Do you know one of the verses that concerns me as a pastor when I preach every single morning, every single service, I try to think of this. I don't always do it, but I try to think, Lord, I pray today if there's somebody that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they would come to know you before they leave this place before you turn off this video online. Because here's the reality. Matthew says, on that day, there will be many who stand before Christ and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you worker of sin. I never knew you. That sure sounds like for us in modern times, churchgoers. Religious people, 
spiritual people. Lord, but I went to church. Lord, but I gave an offering. Lord, but I took communion. Lord, but I was baptized. Lord, but my parents and I did. And Lord, but I did this stuff. And Jesus is going to say, none of that merits salvation. There's only one way. Jesus said it, John 14. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through him. There's not many roads up a hill of it. We're all reaching the same pinnacle. No, no, no. That's the culture. That's the enemy. That's a lie. Do you know what the enemy wants you to do? Is to think that you're good when you're really not. To think that you're saved when you're really not. To think your road is just like every other road and you'll be fine. Because the enemy does not want you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ because the enemy wants to hurt the Father. And how does the enemy, how does Satan hurt the Father? By going after his crown and creation, you and I. But if you've received the grace of God and you've received his salvation, then the Bible says, not me, not Baptist denomination, not this church, not any of that primarily. We agree with it. But the Bible says that if you receive the grace of God for yourself, repenting of your sins, you are saved. And you are given eternal life. That the Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 1, will seal you unto the day of redemption and you will stand before Christ one day and then I believe we will fall before Christ one day on our face in worship of him and we will shout praises to the Lamb, to the King of Kings and we will see the scars in his hands. We will see the scars on his brow and we will realize he did that for me because I was lost, I was broken, I didn't deserve it, but he did that for me. And I want to live my life and I'll live eternity for him. Now you might be sitting there thinking, man, that sounds good, preacher. Man, that sounds real good, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've done. There's no way God wants to show me grace. All God wants to show me is judgment and condemnation. Well, here's the reality. All of us deserve condemnation. We play the game of comparison, don't we? Well, I've done a couple bad things, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And some of you have neighbors that you're like, now that guy. Come on now. I know it's church, but you can agree, okay? It's all right. I'm not as bad as that person. And here's the thing. I want you to think about the sin that makes your stomach turn. I want you to think about the sin that makes you just, your skin crawl. That you can't even imagine someone doing this to someone else, whatever the sin is. That's how every sin makes the Father feel. That's, by the way, how our good works in pride and arrogance make the Father feel. Do you know the Bible says that when we bring our good works to him and we say, hey, look what I've done for you, God. And he, it's like a present and he opens it up. And the Bible says that it's like filthy rags. I won't get into the exact translation of that, but if you're curious, look it up. And the Bible says that when he sees our good works that are really filthy rags to him, it makes his stomach queasy and he wants to throw up. That's what the Bible says. It, it brings a stench into his nostrils. And we come in pride and arrogance and we go, look how high up the ladder I got. And he goes, it makes me sick that you would do that. Why? Because our sin is so vile. We compare it to other people's, but your sin is no different than someone else's. So let's do this. If we don't know Christ and we think God doesn't want to be gracious to us, here's a verse I want to encourage you with. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Here's what the word says. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. That's not taken out of context. That's exactly what it means. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. So what a statement. You know yourself well. You know you better than others know you. 
Do you want to be gracious to you some days? No. Do you know the long the Lord longs, desires to be gracious to you? If you're sitting there thinking like he could never forgive me, he could never show me grace. No, no, no. Stop putting who you are on who God is and realize God is who God says he is. And he says he wants to be gracious to you. He longs for it. So all we need to do is receive that grace. So maybe we're here and we don't know Christ. You've not received his grace. Would you do that this morning? Would you right there where you are just pray and ask him to save you? But maybe this morning as I'm going through this, you're a Christian sitting here today. You've received Christ. You know him as a Savior. You have a relationship with him. And you're sitting there thinking like, preacher, I'm so glad you're preaching this message for all or anyone that maybe doesn't know Christ. They really need to hear this. I used to think that when I was in college and a, a pastor would come to chapel at a Bible college and preach the gospel. I remember thinking, does this dude not know where he is? This is Baptist Bible College. We're all here, giving our lives to the ministry to study the word. We're all saved. We're obviously all Christians. We're in a Bible college. Do you know how many times he'd give the invitation? Kids would go forward and receive Christ. Do you know it was a while until I realized I'm looking at the gospel all wrong? We think the gospel is like step one, get them, get them, uh, understand the gospel, get them saved, and then move them on to the rest of the things. Do you know that's a really poor way to look at it? The gospel is our foundation for everything we do and believe as followers of Christ. And the reason you look down on your neighbor and the reason you think your sin that you were forgiven of five, 10, 20, 50, 60 years ago, whatever it was, isn't nearly as bad and you're judgmental of them is because you don't really understand the gospel. Because if you understood the gospel, you would realize that as much as you needed forgiveness and received that, that's what they need. You would stop judging them, stop condemning them, and you'd start preaching Christ to them. That's what I had to learn. And I, by the way, am learning. I can be so judgmental of people. I can be so condemning of people. Well, yeah, but they did this and look how they, and you know, I would never do that. By the way, you have no idea what you would never do. Given the environment, the temptation, the opportunity, I've learned humanity will do anything. There is nothing we won't do when it comes to sin because we're fallen and broken and lost and undone. And we need a Savior who loves us and is faithful even when we are not. And so maybe you're here and you don't know Christ and you receive Christ. But maybe you're here and you know Christ. Then don't let this morning pass by by you thinking, I'm glad this is for them, those people who need it. We all need the gospel every single day because it is the foundation of everything we are as followers of Christ. It will give us the right motivation and the right attitude to go into every single day. We will treat our family different, our neighbors different, our community different. We'll look at our days different. By the way, when things go wrong in our culture, we'll look at that differently when we understand and live in the gospel. We won't live defeated because the gospel says it doesn't matter who's sitting in the White House, by the way. The gospel says Christ has already overcome. Greater is he that is in the world than he, or greater is he that is than in the, wow. Greater is he than he is in the world, right? That, that, that one that's in the world, that enemy, Satan, the Antichrist, he is greater. He is so much greater. Why? Because he's overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. By the way, 1 John tells us he's overcome your own heart. Paul says, when your heart condemns you, he is greater than your heart. See, when we understand the gospel and the relationship we have with Christ, we will understand that we have all we need in the gospel. 
So God is gracious to the lost and broken, which is all of us, when we did not deserve it. And he demonstrated that grace when he paid our debts. And you're following along in the notes there, that letter B there in the notes is paid our debts. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, again, just turn to page 815. 815 and the Bibles provided there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And since I'm struggling remembering verses this morning, we'll just read this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the reality is, Christ doesn't just give us access to the Father by making a way up the ladder. We only are even accepted on the ladder because of the righteousness of Christ in us. See, we can't even get step one on our own. You know why? Because the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We can't take one step up the ladder towards God on our own. But in Christ, the Bible says that he became sin for us. So the sin that we have is replaced with the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Christ. He sees the perfection of his son. Now, does this mean that we sin and just sin and sin because he doesn't see sin? No. There's consequences for sin. There's, there's natural consequences for the sin choices that we make. And that's, God allows that to take place. That's reaping and sowing. But in eternal perspective, if you're in Christ, you're not going to get to heaven one day and have to pay for any sin. See, we don't pay for one sin or two sins. We either pay for all of the sin or we don't pay for any of the sin. And in Christ, it's all covered in Christ. It's all paid for. He paid our debts. But in ourselves, you can pay for your sin. You can choose to stand before God and pay for your own sin one day. But that's what's going to lead to separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. Now, I know people think, well, you shouldn't really bring up hell, preacher. That sounds like a scary place. Jesus preached more on hell than he ever did on heaven. Because he was concerned enough and loved people enough to tell them the truth. There are a lot of churches that won't even use the word hell, the word blood, the word sin. Why? Because I don't want to offend anybody and they won't come back next week. Jesus was the greatest at making a crowd shrink in size. Often. There's a multitude. He looks out and goes, you're all just hungry. You don't really believe? You were just here when we gave out the fish and the loaves and you just want more food. You don't really believe. Here, I'll tell you what. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Then you can follow me. That's nasty. We're leaving. Like, that's, that's what Jesus would do. You say you want to be my disciple, but you want to go home to your dad's funeral. Let the dead bury the dead. Come follow me. That'll draw a crowd. Let me go home and say bye to my mom and dad. Nope, you'll never come back. If you want to follow me, follow me. This is not taught in church growth seminars. Because we're not concerned, by the way, modern church is not concerned with growing a church. They're concerned with growing an audience. 
I don't care what offends somebody if it's the word of God. By the way, the gospel is offensive. I needed to be offended because I was in sin, broken and undone. And I needed the gospel to offend me, to draw me to understanding. But here's the beauty of it. When we realize where we are and who we are apart from him, and then we realize what he did for us. Do you realize the religious were the ones that mostly left? It was the lower of the low. It was the impoverished. It was those that knew they were sinners that gathered around Christ and would never leave. They wanted to be around him all the time. Why? Because nobody had shown them that kind of love before. To say, listen, yes, society says you're worthless. Society says you can't be saved. Society says this. I tell you this, the gospel can save anyone. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. He paid our debts. And here's the reality of that. That's good news. Amen? The gospel is good news. That's what the word means. Good news. Now, here's the thing. It's unlike any other good news. The good news. I got the promotion. Good news. I'm getting married. Some of you are like, oh. good news. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a joke. I love being married. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> yay. Um, some of you are like, good news. You know, we got the house. Good news. I got the job. Good news. You know, we're having a baby. That's great news. It really is. And we get excited for that. We cheer for those kind of things. But we don't, in the same string of good news, say, good news, Jesus died for your sins. It's so much greater. It's so much greater. No, no, no. Good news. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he, being perfect son of God, died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe, he will give you his righteousness and you will live forever in heaven, completely free and forgiven of sin. And you will live in this life in his glory and in his presence. And you will experience the joy of walking in the Lord. And you will have a peace that passes all understanding. Good news. He paid your debts. Do you see how it cannot lump it in? The sinless son of God died for our sins. He died in our place and he rose again. Alistair Begg formed it this way. And I love this. Read this and then we'll close. How can God pardon sinners without encouraging sin? How can God simultaneously show justice in punishment, but mercy in pardoning? How can he turn his enemies into his friends and bind them to himself in eternal love? How can he welcome in fallen man into heaven without spoiling heaven's holiness? The answer to each question is found in the cross of Christ. Therefore, we preach the cross because it is the power of God unto salvation. The cross the gospel is central to our lives as followers of Christ. It is good news. So has the good news grown old and familiar? Or just lumped in with everyday good news? Or do you still, do we still, do I still sit in awe of the grace of God? Do you rejoice in your weaknesses? Because as Paul learned, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
As we celebrate communion this morning, what an amazing time for the Lord to lead us into this message. We rejoice in the reality of the grace of God to us. That is what draws us together this morning as the body of Christ, to worship him and remember what he has done for us. He paid our debts when we didn't deserve it because God is gracious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love and grace in our lives. And we pray that as we spend time in invitation this morning, as we spend time preparing our hearts for what you have for us in communion, I pray that you would be glorified, you and you alone. Draw us, Lord, to the reality of the gospel, the need of having the forgiveness of our sins, the glorious truth that you died in our place, that you spared nothing to grant us eternal life, and that anyone, no matter their age, their background, their sin background, current struggles, if we would repent of our sins, turn and trust in you, that we will have eternal life. Lord, there's no better news. And so I thank you for salvation. I thank you for grace. For those that are here this morning that are saved, maybe they would come forward and bend a knee if they feel led of the Spirit to do so and just say, Lord, I'm going to thank you for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that when I was lost and undone that you came to me. But maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs to know you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they would put away their pride, realize their sin, accept the gospel, and find eternal life. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple answer. The gospel is simple, but it's difficult to receive it because we have to put ourselves aside, humble ourselves, and trust in you. And so, Father, you do the work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and direct in all of this as we worship you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And we're going to be led in a song of invitation. Would you sing this morning with us and prepare our hearts and minds for communion to follow? thankful for his grace would you come and bend a knee say thank you lord for what you've done for me there in your seats or here at the altar would you respond to what god is doing in our lives